Welcome to episode 47 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary! Na 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 na. Na 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. Oh, bye, Don. Can you believe this? I know, we're two weeks behind. Yes, we but are. We're two still weeks, happy. But we yesterday, so we record on Sunday, but yesterday yes. it was official. Yes. Bye, motherfucker. Oh my God. Now, of course, we celebrated. We danced in the streets yesterday, yes. but now. Uh, now we have to work. Yeah. We now, got a lot of work to do. We do, but also I'm like, the next 60 days, what is going to happen? How, what is going to be happening in I don't the know. White House, in the pardon situation? Who's he pardoning? I'm anxious to find out and watch and see what happens. Have Have you seen anything? Uh, I don't have cable news, but have you seen anything about um, his reaction? Or the, have, have the we only anything? thing that was a little strange was that they were going to call a press conference at the Four Seasons, and people thought it was like the Four Seasons Hotel, and it ended up being like this in a in a strip mall and it was like a four seasons garden center or something and they slapped up some posters and it was like a a garden center and then next to it was like an adult bookshop what and rudy giuliani spoke what in the hell yeah it was very just given up it was very odd and i thought well maybe they said oh we're going to be at the four seasons so that people showed up at the hotel if they were going to boo or do whatever and then they had it like ho ho we're at this other four seasons that's the only thing i could think of as to why they would be in some like grungy it's so you know bizarre. alleyway yeah with rudy giuliani oh another dip oh god well i maybe even his you know campaign kind of just fell apart maybe uh, everybody who would have planned that was like out or something yeah, i don't know um the other great thing that i saw was slate um had a series of articles mm-hmm. um and it was like goodbye melania goodbye ivanka <laughs> goodbye jerry and it was just like they're 15 yeah you know, goodbye, Betsy DeVos, like it, in just these short little articles on like how trash all of these people were in the positions that they held, like the EPA guy. It was it's really crazy. good. It was a really good series. Oh, my God. Of articles. So I enjoyed that. It's like, I just can't believe it. I just I'm shocked. I had no faith in the American people whatsoever. Well, I still don't because <laughs> of the n- record numbers of people that voted for. Yes. Orange. It's still disappointing. Yes. But. I just read this. So here's the. Uh, I'm reading this in the Sun Sentinel this morning. Uh, Biden now holds the record for the popular vote with 74,872,687,000 votes. And Trump also holds the record for a losing candidate. He got 70,602,144 votes. 70 million. Yeah. So, you know, Sil from The Sopranos, Stevie Van Zandt, (laughs) tweeted... He had this great tweet that was like, well, now we know that when we walk outside, I mean, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. that, you know, every other person we see yeah, doesn't, you know, hold our beliefs. I know. Well, I saw something funny too. It was saying like, I'm going to do you all a favor and not wear Biden hats and fly his flags for yeah. four years like a fucking, you know, like moron. an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Here's, Who's going to do that? Here's Give something else I read that I thought was really good in, in the Sunset editorial. It said, Quote, in Biden and his running mate, Kamala Harris, America has chosen unity over division, hope over hatred, competence over cunning, faith over fear, dignity over disgrace, compassion over cruelty, calm over chaos, and truth over falsehood. It's incredible overnight how 
the media, I was watching CNN yesterday on my computer, like right after this had happened, you know, the, the, the final call and, um, how much it was just like, now we don't have to wake up every morning and hear, uh, see what, what scandals happening yeah, today. It's like hateful, every, the we lady, can, we can rest. Yeah. She was a news anchor going, it was exhausting to be in this. I saw a funny, a local news person in DC on the street, you know, talking about the election. And this guy walks up behind him in this whole Trump, like, regalia and he goes hey hey and the guy goes what's up man and he goes is this uh real news or fake news and the news person says to him fuck off <laughs> and, and the guy's like what and he just turned around smile the guy the newscaster had the biggest smile oh on his my face. god i love and that. even this editorial it's like we it's like finally able to be like we're done to like but, we're done but you know what covering this bullshit. they should have stopped it Honey, in yes. the beginning i know it's I said, too little too late here. i thought the same thing when they we, when we, they cut we gave away, them too much airtime when they cut away from the press conference at the white house because of all the false things he was saying i think it was wednesday or you know, and I was like, "Hmm, the major networks cut away now. If they had cut away the first day he's announcing yes. he's running for president, coming down that gold escalator, yes. talking about Mexicans are sending rapists and yes. dealers, maybe, maybe we maybe wouldn't be here. The campaign would have been different from the beginning. Four, but they're like four ratings, 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 and now look what happens. Yeah, because of your your desperate desire. Yeah. Okay, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Ooh. Let me check my get my story. Make sure it's up. Let's see. Okay, so today I'm going to tell you about. Former Secretary of the Interior, Albert oh. B. Fall. Oh, you know okay. I don't think so. All right, let's do it. So oh this was God. considered like the biggest scandal in the federal government until Watergate. So like this was a huge scandal because it, wow. included, it involved uh, somebody sitting in uh, the cabinet. Yeah. You know? Okay. So Albert Bacon Fall. Bacon. Honey, I saw that his name <laughs> was bacon and I was fucking dying. You know what's funny is uh, my son, uh, he likes, he wanted his nickname to be bacon because he loves bacon so much. <laughs> so, um, and his other nickname is hostile hot dog. Like he's all about, uh, yes, he's cuckoo. He loves those pork products. Yes, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Bacon Fall was born in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky to William R. and Edmonia Taylor Fall. He attended schools as a child in Nashville, Tennessee, but was primarily self-educated. Okay. Like homeschool? Or <laughs> no, guess. just himself. Like I he decided. Himself. By yeah. age 11, Fall was employed in a cotton factory. Oh. <laughs> well, these are different times. That's true. There were no, um, you know, labor laws, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just work them until they die. He died at the young age of 18. No, just kidding. Oh. This co this <laughs> caused respiratory health problems he suffered throughout his life working in the factory. Yeah. Due to his illnesses, Fall moved west as a young man to seek a better climate. He tried Oklahoma and Texas, but eventually he settled in Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, where which was a territory just at the time, where he practiced law. Between 1879 and 1881, Fall worked as a teacher while he studied law. Okay, so he became a lawyer, but he was studying law during that time. On May 7th, 1883, he married Emma Garland Morgan in Clarksville, Texas, and they had four children, a son, Jack, and daughters, Alexina, Carolyn, and Jouette. Ooh. Jack and Carolyn died within a week of each other during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Oh. So two of his kids, yeah, which they compare to, by the way, right. COVID-19. Yes. 
Fall was admitted to the bar in 1891, so that's when he started practicing law there. He served in the New Mexico House of Representatives from 1891 to 1892 and served on the Territorial Council from 1892 until 1893. Fall was appointed judge of the 3rd Judicial District Court in 1893 and associate justice of the New Mexico Supreme Court later the same year. So he's like going right up the ladder. Yeah, he's right up the ranks Mm -hmm. there. Fall served on the Territorial Council again from 1896 to 1897 and as a territory's attorney general in 1897 he again served on the territorial council from 1902 to 1904 during the spanish-american war fall served as a captain of an infantry company he served as an attorney general in 1907 and in 1910 he was a delegate to the territory's constitutional convention wow so So, he's very experienced yes and one of the cases he tried was um, a murder case, which, you know, we're, uh, we're murderinos. We like that. Yes. So I wanted to just tell a little bit about this case. This has nothing to do with the mucky stuff of this guy, but it's a little mucky. Yes. And so tell it's, me, it's I, love a the, murder, I love a murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, it's not the mucky thing, but this is good. So uh, Albert Ball and his neighbor, Oliver M. Lee, were landowners in the area, you know, New Mexico area, and were rivals to attorney Albert Jennings Fountain. Fall's association with Lee seems to have begun when Fall helped Lee in a criminal case. So he's associated with this guy who is a little reckless, right? Like Lee, so this guy Lee was known for dispensing violence and terrorizing his enemies. He employed William McNew and Jim Gillian, both known as gunmen. Lee repeatedly rustled castle, uh, excuse me, cattle from other ranches in the area, altering the brands to resemble his own. Oh. Just like stealing. Yes, that used to happen back then. They would brand... Um, yes you know that's how so he would make his brand something that where he could and then he would just go right on top and it's my cow wow not a great guy and he's got these two gunmen working for him it's like scary and falls friends with him right so (sighs) falls legal services ensured lee and his men stayed free from the criminal (gasps) conviction that they had i forgot i don't know what that was for maybe stealing cattle yeah probably the cattle um but fall so fall intervened on their behalf and they were they were able to to get off of their criminal conviction um, and Fall disliked this guy Fountain, Albert Jennings Fountain, he, who showed little fear of the Fall Lee faction. Like he did, this guy Fountain was like, go fuck yeah. yourself. Like, yeah. you know, you, you can't do anything to me. And he challenged them openly in courts and in the political arena. Like this guy was like, I don't have, he had no fear of Good. history of these four guys, right? I like that. Um, but Uh-oh. on February 1st, 1896, Fountain and his eight-year-old son Henry <gasps> disappeared Oh, near no. White Sands on the way from Falls Three, Liver, Three Rivers Ranch north of T- Tularosa to their home in Masilla. Okay? All right. So basically they had this guy off. Right. Because he's leaving yes. Falls' house. Yeah, come on. And he disappears with his son. Fall um, successfully <clears throat> defended Lee, McNew, and Gillian when they were put on trial for Henry's murder in Hillsboro. So... He gets wow. them off of this murder charge. So he probably is involved in right. it. Right. There's something fucked yes. up there. So evidence of the trial suggested Lee was involved in Fountain's murder and disappearance, but investigators had to deal with a corrupt court system and Fall's legal skill. The bodies of Fountain and his son <gasps> and their horse were never found, oh, no. which made it harder to prosecute. Yes. Right? I mean, all they no, knew bo- that, no body, no murder, yeah, man. Yeah, and all they knew is that these guys were were enemies. And they the were contentious. They had this, yeah. yeah. The charges against McNew were dismissed by the court wow. while Lee and Gillian were acquitted. So 
he got them off of this. Anyway, that's kind of, you know, this is who he's associating yes. himself with out there. He's not the he's greatest. He's not the greatest guy. Yeah. yeah. He's corrupt and he's got the courts yes. on his side. Yes. Wow. So um, as a member of the Republican Party, Albert Fall was elected as one of the, the first U.S. senators from New Mexico. Then he becomes a senator? Yes, in the My year God. of 1912. So now New Mexico is a state and he's one of the two senators who gets elected yes. for the very first time, which is kind of, that's awesome, yeah. right? Um, it was widely known that he had made a political alliance with Thomas B. Catron, the man who served alongside him to ensure they both were elected. So they kind of, everybody liked this guy, Thomas Catron, and he and Catron was like, well, I'm going to pick Fall to be, well, the two of us are going to yes. be both senators. Nobody really liked Fall, though. He really didn't get along with he doesn't sound like a great guy. Yeah, but Catherine was like, that's right, we're going to do this together. So the con- this controversy made Fall a target of the local Republican Party as they believed he had not contributed sufficiently to their efforts to secure New Mexico's statehood and was not worthy of the nomination. The selection of Catherine and Fall also disappointed his- Hispanics who had hoped that a Hispanic man would be selected. Yeah. Fall was also severely disliked by the Democrats. <laughs> Fall's unpopularity came to a head when, under Senate rules, his term ended in March 1913, and his name was put up again before the legislature for re-election. After various votes, the legislature re-elected Fall. However, Governor McDonald, on the advice of his Democratic legal advisor, Summers Burkhart, asserted that the legislature's procedure had been illegal and failed to sign the credential papers in an attempt to oust Fall by forcing a special session of the legislature in a new vote. The attempt failed, and Fall won the special legislative election. When re-election came up in 1918, Fall was ambivalent about running, but nonetheless accepted the Republican nomination. In the general election, he overcame a bitter challenge from from a Democrat, even though Fall never made a campaign speech. So he didn't even go out and like try to win the and seat. And he just wins. And he wins anyway. Some commentators <sighs> suggest that it was sympathy for Fall's tragic loss of his two children in the flu pandemic that won him the election. Mm. Eh, possible. In the Senate, Fall served as a chairman of the committee... I'm sorry, there's, our lights are flickering. We're in the middle of a tropical storm right now. Yes. So. <laughs> Florida. Yeah. In the Senate, Fall mm-hmm. served as a chairman of the Committee on Expenditures in the Department of Commerce and Labor, was noted for his support of the suffrage movement, and his extreme isolationist tendencies when the U.S. entered World War I. Mm. Yeah. As a leading antagonist to President Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, Fall was permitted to visit the stricken president in the White House bedroom in October 1918, hoping to gauge whether the chief executive was well enough to remain in office. He said, quote, he said, quote to the president, I've been praying for you, sir. Um, and the president said, which way, Senator? Like, which, which way are you praying? I die love or? that. That is a great response. Yeah, yeah. Best response. In, He's like, I see you. Yeah. Even on his deathbed, yeah. he's like, I got you, motherfucker. Yes. In the Senate, Paul became close friends with the people who would later make up the infamous Ohio gang, which secured him a cabinet position in the Interior Secretary in Warren G. Harding's administration in March 1921. So... Here we go. Now he's in the next administration. Warren G. Harding is the president, and he has been selected to be in the cabinet as the interior secretary. Okay. Um, so I wanted to tell you a little bit about the hits because this is we're going to get into like oil out west at this time, and I just want to tell you a little bit of history, and then we'll get into um, what happened, what okay. he did. So in the early 20th century, the U.S. Navy largely obtained fuel oil by converting it from coal. To ensure that the Navy would always have enough fuel available, President Taft designated several oil-producing areas as naval oil reserves. 
Mm. Okay, so they would always that's always you know, belongs to the navy. Yeah, I mean, navies were the the navy's the one who's giving everybody rides at the yes. time to go to war. We need to make sure these aircraft or these uh, the ships have enough oil. So in 1921, President Harding issued an executive order that transferred control of Teapot Dome oil field in Natrona County, uh, Wyoming, and the Elk Hills uh, and Buena Vista oil fields in Kern County, California, from the Navy Department to the Department of the Interior. Yes. Okay, so now Mr. Fall, yes. our friend, is in charge of, like, the oil field. So this is, is this part of the, the Teapot Dome scandal? Yes. Yes. That's what this is. Yes. yes. Do you know this? I'm a little familiar okay. now that we're moving yes. in. This yes. is it. Okay. Later in 1922, Interior Secretary Albert Fall leased the oil production rights at the Teapot Dome to Harry F. Sinclair of Mammoth Oil, a subsidiary of, subsidiary of Sinclair Oil Corporation. He also leased the Elks Hills Reserve to Edward L. Dahini of Pan American Petroleum and Transport Company. Okay, so he's putting these leases out. That's yes. perfectly legal. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Okay, but both leases were issued without competitive bidding. Which was Here illegal. Yeah, so Here that's legal under the Mineral Leasing Act like of 1920. Like, he's allowed to do that. But <laughs> you yeah. have to at least... Make okay. an attempt to make, an make attempt this to make a it look little like fair. You tried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the lease terms were very favorable to, the, favorable to the oil companies, which secretly made Fall a rich man. Oh, my God. These oil companies from day one. Yeah. Oh, no, they've day always one. been shitty. Yeah. It's, it's just... Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, they're so wealthy oh it's incredible so fall and they receives, can't they can't they can't spare no they can't spare a drop of oil they can't spare <laughs> you can't know spare they're so greedy i know so fall received a no interest loan from doheny of one hundred thousand dollars or about 1.43 1.43 million dollars today Dang. so this is in november 1921 he gets this loan from doheny who's one My of the companies God. yeah he received other gifts from Doheny and Sinclair, totaling about $404,000 <gasps> or about $5.79 million Dang. today. Gifts. God, can so, someone, can, can so someone give me a gift like that? <laughs> so that's what, the... What do I need to do? That's the illegal part of this. My, it's like, it's of very clear. Yeah, you can give leases to companies, but you're not doing it for a favor. Yeah, you're they're giving it, greasing palms to these yes, oil companies. Yes. Come on. So many words, yes. Come so on. So Fall attempted to keep his action secret, but the sudden improvement in his standard of living was Well, suspect. no, chef, I mean... Uh, <laughs> this is very... This and, is it's very and it's 1921. Yes. Like, <laughs> And it's very much like... Uh, what's that great movie? Nobody uh, buy anything. And then oh, you know, uh, the good guy... Goodfellas. 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 He walks in with the, with the fur coat. The, he's the like, get the hell yeah, out with the, the Cadillac. Wife, yeah, got a fur coat. Leave, come leave, out. leave, leave. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 i told you don't buy anything it was the lufthansa air the, yeah, 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 yes, yeah yes yes <laughs> anyway good fellas it's so good such a good the wife walks in and she's got the coat yes and she's like Ew, and, and she's like what? Yeah. <laughs> give me that coat yeah. oh my god it's so good yeah, he ends up in the freezer truck at the yeah. end that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is what this dope is doing yeah. right he even paid up his ranch taxes for example which had been as much as 10 years past year. oh come on <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, wait a minute, now you got the money? Oh, my God. What, what an idiot. So, what an idiot. <laughs> Carl McGee, who later founded the Albu Albuquerque Tribune, wrote about his sudden this sudden afflu affluence and also brought it to the attention of the Senate Investigation Committee. So journalists, there, there once we again, go. come to there the rescue. Go. Yes, Thank God for journalists. Yes. And it reminds me of 
the last or is it episode 45 when you talked about the guy from California where the journalist yeah. she looked into one like Christine yeah. she's like McDonald's and then yeah. she starts looking and the whole fucking thing gets blown up yes same thing here so in the investigation in April 1922 a Wyoming oil operator wrote to his senator John B. Kendrick angered that Sinclair had been given a contract to the lands in a secret deal so now somebody else is bringing up like hey uh, yeah well yeah because they're probably like well why didn't we get to yeah. bid I didn't even get a chance yes yeah Kendrick did not respond, but two days later on April 15th, he introduced a resolution calling for an investigation of the deal. Republican Senator Robert M. La Follette of Wisconsin led an investigation by the Senate Committee on Public Lands. At first, La Follette believed Fall was innocent. However, his suspicions were aroused after his own office in the Senate office building was ransacked. Mm. Democrat Thomas J. Walsh of Montana, the most junior minority member, led a lengthy inquiry. Inquiry. For two years, Walsh pushed forward while Fall stepped backward, covering his tracks as he went. Uh, oh, now you're gonna, yeah. Now you're gonna backpedal. Yeah. No evidence of wrongdoing was initially uncovered at the leases were as the leases were legal enough, but records kept disappearing mysteriously. <gasps> Fall had made the leases appear legitimate, but his acceptance of the money was his undoing. Mm. By 1924, the remaining unanswered question was how Fall had become so rich so quickly and easily. Money from the bribes had gone to Fall's cattle ranch and investments in his business. Finally, as the investigation was winding down with Fall apparently innocent because they couldn't find anything, Walsh uncovered a piece of evidence that Fall had failed to cover up Doheny's $100,000 loan Ooh. to Fall. This discovery broke open the scandal. Civil and criminal suits uh, related to the scandal continued through the 1920s. In 1927, the Supreme Court ruled that the oil leases had been corruptly obtained. But went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Wow. The Supreme Court invalidated the Elks Hills lease in February 1927 and the Teapot Dome lease in October. Both reserves were returned to the Navy. In 1929, Fall was found guilty of accepting bribes from Doheny. Coversely, in 1930, Doheny was acquitted of paying bribes to Fall. So the company, corporation, basically yes. got off. But, but, but Fall did not. Yeah, no, no. Mm. Further, Doheny's corporation foreclosed on Fall's home <gasps> in Tularosa no! Basin, New Mexico, because of his unpaid loans that turned out to be the same $100,000 yes. loan. The bribe. Wow. Yeah. Oh, there. that's cruel. Yeah. But Sinclair, he served six, month in j six months in jail on a charge of jury tampering. He's the one who got the, uh, he got the, team, the teapot dome and Doheny yeah. got the other one. Um, although, uh, for jury tampering, though. So mm. he must have been, yeah. Although Fall was to blame for the scandal, Harding's reputation, the president, was sullied because of his involvement with the wrong people. Yeah. Evidence proving Fall's guilt only arose after Harding's death in 1923. The Teapot Dome oil field was then idled for 49 years but went back into production in 1976. <gasps> wow. After Teapot Dome had earned over $569 million in revenue from the two, <gasps> 22 million barrels of oil extracted over the previous 39 years, the Department of Energy in February 2015 sold the oil field for $45 million to New York-based Stranded S Standard Oil Reserves or mm. Resources Corporation. Okay. So wow. Here, here's two things that I thought was really good. So during the congressional hearings... Concerning the scandal in 1924, Fall explained the concept of oil field dra drainage with a remark that was later adapted as a line of dialogue in the 2000 film, There Will Be Blood. <gasps> so this is what he said. He said, quote, sir, if you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake and my straw reaches across the room, I'll end up drinking your milkshake. <gasps> Do you remember that from that movie? 
I do. Like crazy, what's that guy uh, the actor? Um, oh my God, Daniel he's so Day-Lewis. Good. Yes. Oh, he was so creepy in that movie. Remember he's like, I've got him and I'm going to put my straw. Remember that thing? That's from this, that was from these hearings. This is, uh, that gave me goosebumps. Yeah. And I wondered, like, did the IRS get involved because he's got all this money? Well, how about this? So this is the second thing that I thought was really interesting is that Congress subsequently passed legislation enduring to this day giving subpoena power to the House and Senate for review of tax records of any U.S. citizen regardless of elected or appointed position. These resulting laws all were, are also considered to have empowered the role of Congress more generally. So because of this case, yes. they can say, I want to see this person's taxes. Yeah. Which that, is what we've been asking for for four please. fucking years. Please. <laughs> and we're never going to see. I mean, that, that ship has, has now yeah. sailed. But I, I was just curious if the IRS went after him too because all of a sudden you have – Five million dollars, yeah. like equivalent to five million dollars, yeah. and you're not paying. I mean, I don't know. The government's going to want their money. Yeah, but if he invested in his businesses and paid off his but, taxes, but that's like, where the that's where it? the IRS says, well, where is this? How are Coming you from? generating this revenue? Listen, they're 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 making records disappear. I'm sure they're avoiding the IRS in some yeah. way. Uh, they mean, have to. What an absolute creep! Oh my God, so good, <gasps> so right, good. What did you think? I love it. Yeah, it's it. Love this guy. Uh, oil, these oil companies, you know, this is the thing. Like, you know, we, my husband and I were talking about this. Mm-hmm. They used to use coal and they didn't use coal and we have oil. You know, it's time to move forward to wind and yes. solar. Yeah. And, and if, if, and if, and if these like, you know, I was thinking like our, our power company, FPL, mm-hmm. if FPL would get on board really with solar, mm-hmm. they could still have their, People Peace. working the grids, yeah. like, right, that are fixing, doing the maintenance of all of that. Yeah. You know, like, just, they need to start this transition. They've done, I know. They've done some. Some, yeah, but not in the way that they but should But imagine, be. like, if that was, like, such an initiative in this state, when mm-hmm. a hurricane comes, we wouldn't worry about, or a tropical storm, we wouldn't worry about uh, our power going out. Yeah. Because we would have a solar reserve. We wouldn't have those generators and the, and the gas and the danger of running those in your home. Yeah. You know, it's just stupid. Mm. All right. Well, today, <laughs> yes. I'm going to tell you the story of Alan Raymond and the scandal surrounding the New Hampshire 2002 U.S. Senate election. Mm. So Alan Raymond worked as a GOP operative and a political consultant, but when he was approached to help close the gap in the 2002 U.S. Senate rate for New Hampshire, Raymond made a bad call leading to accusations of election tampering. Mm. So our story takes place in New Hampshire, and we've done a story out of New Hampshire before. Um, so just another fun fact um, for book nerds like me <laughs> is that uh, Robert Frost is from New Hampshire, and that just made me so happy and it made me think <laughs> of um, one of my favorite poems from him, Mending Wall, that really Trump should have read. Um, but um, I have to read like my my. Uh, the opening lines, uh, something there is that doesn't love a wall that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even to compass abreast. I feel like, you know, and then later in the poem, like just for Trump, before I built a wall, I'd asked to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Mm. So good. It's such a lovely, um, lovely little poem. All right. So... <laughs> Um, I'm going to give some details into the background of Alan Raymond. So he owned what is now um, a defunct GOP marketplace 
telemarketing firm. And so he would work with helping like boost political campaigns and make calls and things like that. And he also worked for the Republican Leadership Council, which was a PAC that focused on, uh, quote, fiscally conservative and, quote, socially inclusive candidates. And Michael Steele was like part Mm, of that group and some other um, well-known Republicans. And according to Michael uh, Cranish of the Boston Globe, he also ranked high up in Steve Forbes's political campaign. So he's this GOP consultant. He's got this hefty resume and he was fairly young. He was like in his, you know, mid to late thirties as he's moving up and Mm -hmm. really like gaining recognition within like the GOP as this strategist. And again, as a, um, as an operative, he's been helping like several, um, Republican campaigns and mostly like East coast, uh, campaigns. So in 2002, it's election day. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's this U.S. Senate seat that's up for grabs in New Hampshire. And it's a tight race between a Republican, John Sununu, and a Democrat, uh, Jean Shaheen, who was then governor of New Hampshire, who's running in this race. And it's this really tight race between the two of them. And he got himself in trouble when he conspired with others to jam phone lines on election day Uh. with the purpose of reducing voter turnout. Wow. So allegedly... He paid a telemarketing firm to make thousands of hang-up calls that would disrupt the attempts of the Democratic Party and also this firefighters union to reach voters. And this is on the day of the election. So basically, it was for about 45 minutes, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when the party sends out, like when you're phone banking for the party, it's like all these people are phone banking, Mm -hmm. right, at the same time. And you're using something like minivan, which is, you know, this system where you get a, a you know, phone number, whatever it is, but they're jamming all those lines where it's just like hangups, hangups, and you like, and nobody could make calls. And it was during like the prime sort of time to reach voters. Wow. So, so if you're calling somebody, you can't, you can't, you're trying to get through and it's like busy because there's somebody calling from another, this, and they're doing these call hangups. Yeah. That are jamming up the phone lines. Wow. Essentially. And so, The New Hampshire Dems couldn't reach voters. The Manchester uh, Firefighters Union couldn't reach voters who needed rides to the polls. Like, that's the calls that they were making. Like, we'll come pick you up. And it's, again, election day. So it happened with about six different phone banks plus that firefighters phone bank. And, you know, I I feel like you and I know, and and several of you, I'm sure, know, like, the, the efforts of get out the vote. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. And there are people on the ground that are knocking doors and they'll go out and knock doors on election day. There are people phoning and now text banking on election day and before. But on election day, too, um, I sent out a ton of texts like for Biden. Mm-hmm. Like you just sit there and you're sending out and, and people are like, oh, where is my polling place? Here you go. Here's the information. And you're giving them information so that you can ensure that they're getting out or if they're like, oh, I don't know. And then, well, what issues are important to you? And you can engage them and again, encourage them to get out. And I know that it's like the voter's responsibility and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, like if, if phone banking and knocking on doors engaged. and things right. didn't help, people wouldn't do it, but it helps engage these, these folks out there and other like, and giving people rides to the polls, like that's mm. like a really important thing too. Cause there are the elderly or right. other people who right. have whatever issues or lack of access, like need help getting to the polls. And like yeah. they have, basically stop that from happening in this. And Dang. so 
I, I just feel like it's really crappy. Uh, and and it's illegal, which yes, we'll see. Yes, it is. It is crappy. I just, I mean, how much did they really think they were going to do? I mean, why would, why, why are you that desperate that late in the game too? Like, it just seems like it's such a, I mean, I know it's 45 minutes yeah. and it did a lot of damage, but like, why is that the thing they chose to do? It seems so bizarre to me. Well, after doing this, I realized that there's a lot of examples mm-hmm. of this kind of interference I happening. Thinking, there's one I'm thinking about in particular, which I'm sure you'll bring up, but it's, it just yeah. seems like very bizarre. Yeah, it's it's just like shady and crooked and nasty. It is. It is. So um, Sununu ends up winning the election by yeah. 19,000 votes, that, which isn't a lot, but that really... That name sounds familiar. That's why when you, you know, said his name, I was like, oh, I think this is the... And I wonder how much of an impact those calls made that's, for that 19,000. Right. Right, Dang. that's the thing. So the reason why this is illegal is because federal law doesn't allow anyone to make interstate calls, quote, without disclosing the caller's identity and with the intent to annoy or harass any person at the called number. So you can't just, you know, do this type of interference or harassment. And so the charges, Allen, along with former George Bush's New England campaign chair, James Tobin, and former executive director of New Hampshire GOP, Charles McGee, um, faced several um, charges, which were telephone harassment, one charge for Allen, telephone harassment, two charges against Tobin, aiding and abetting and telephone harass- harassment, which was one charge for Tobin, and conspiracy charge that went for McGee. And so the aftermath. Um, Allen Raymond ends up serving not much. It's three months in federal prison, but his political career is just basically destroyed. And he talks a lot about how all of these people who were sort of like backing him and supporting him, he was like radio silence, like nobody. So, but how did they find out it was them? How did they find out that this had happened? Because the Dem party was like, we've been trying to call. Oh, oh I've been trying oh, to call. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the Dem yes. something's going on. And then they sued. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Then it ended up in a lawsuit and all of this other stuff. Wow. So according to the New York Times, New Hampshire Republicans settled a civil lawsuit with Democrats after Allen's guilty pleas. So prior to mm. that, but then when they pled guilty, then they had to yes. give some money saying, sorry. You no, know, Yeah. <laughs> here we go. McGee ended up serving seven months in prison. He's still advising the GOP. So he didn't really have much political fallout. And then James Tobin was sentenced for one count of telephone harassment and one charge aiding and abetting. Then he ends up acquitted of all charges for some like, you know, technicality in the court case or whatever. But later he ends up being charged with lying to the FBI. Um, but nothing ends up happening with that case in the end either. Wow. So, um, you know, they, they didn't get a lot of time, but I just did this because we're coming out of an election and we saw this election season, mm-hmm. um, and even with Donald Trump's impeachment instances of like telephone harassment. And so yeah. I just find it interesting that this happens and it happens a lot. So the other thing that was interesting in this case is that there were some allegations that this went all the way up to the White House. Wow. And and, and this was in then George W. Yeah. Bush's term. Right. And according to a New York Times editorial, there was no sufficient evidence that ever tied it back. But the article did note that Democrat uh, officials found that there were 22 phone calls that were made from New Hampshire Republicans to the White House Office of Political Affairs on the night in question. And they were saying, well, that's a little suspicious that why is New Hampshire, 
you know, um, why are these New Hampshire Republicans calling the White House? Um, you know, James Tobin was involved. There, there was this back and forth. And they basically tried to say that um, this was just routine election business. And that was from James Tobin. He was like, this had nothing to do with the scandal. It was routine election business. I was making these calls, but they track like when the calls happen, mm. the timing of the calls, and it they just felt like it was a little bit suspicious. But um, other people that they talked to were like, oh, yeah, these calls did have, I just, I don't remember what we talked about that day. And mm. so since there was no recorded evidence, like, what, yeah, what are you going to do? It's yeah. over. So the Justice Department um, was also accused of interfering in the investigation as well. What? Yeah. So... There is some shadiness there that perhaps they got involved because they wanted to secure a U.S. Senate, Senate seat. seat for the GOP. Wow. You know? Come on, man. And according to Politico, uh, the Dem civil cases revealed um, that the, all of those shady schemes like started showing that all of this other stuff and the GOP like basically hemorrhaged a ton of money because even though they sort of got off on all of the court cases. Like they just, they had to throw all this money at the, at the legal fees. And wow. so it ended up like draining right. all of their money. Um, uh, Alan Raymond ends up releasing a book called how to rig an election. Oh, and it highlights all of the slimy tactics the GOP used to win. And, and he basically says that for like he, and this is his claim. So I'm not saying this. This is sort of what Alan Raymond is, talks about in his book, is that for the GOP, it's only about winning no matter the cost and doing whatever it takes to win. Yeah. And I think, like, that's the big difference, you know. Um, and he also notes that the scan—he also implicates the White House and says that they knew. And he said, basically, Tobin and the others who were involved with him would not have gotten involved without— the blessing. The blessing, right? Right. They, they, they just wouldn't have done it. And so that's sort of his claim. I don't remember where we were then as far as like needing Senate seats or anything yeah. like that. But of course, it's all about winning. Why are yes. we like that? Why are yes. we like that? You know? Yeah, but do we, we want to be associated with all the shadiness? Who gives I, a fuck? I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. Different, fine, fine. But then when they get to office, we can make, do the things we need to do. Throw the dirt. Throw the yeah. shade. You have to do it if you want to win. They do it. And then when you do it... As Democrats are like, oh, I can't believe they're making all these lies. You're fucking lying. Yes. You're, you're the shit they're, I got in my they're mail. They're so, 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 so the shady. The flyers and the shit I got in my mail about how somebody, how Biden or anybody in that camp is a socialist. It's such fucking bullshit. They do it to scare people. Yes. Why don't we do the same thing? We should do yeah. the same or thing. Or at least call them out more directly on the lies because that's the thing that we don't see enough. I guess I'm just and like saying. the whole socialist thing. I think we talked the other day that the, I read this article from someone in Europe that's like, uh, hello, Americans, like you don't know what socialism is. You guys are yeah. right and you're far right. Well, we know like that, there's no but we know socialism that, but when they tell that to cute to to all these folks coming from South um, South America who are coming here living in Miami. That's all they scream to socialists and Dems had no they had no fight against and no that. counter message no and counter no clarity. So, but the fact of the matter is, we are where we are because we fight and we we because we're playing a different game. Yes, they're playing out for blood, and we're like, mm, can I make this move in the next Monopoly game? Yeah, no, yeah, you I, just I, take the move because we're that's why we lose, Tina, and that's no, why no, we're it's losing true. in Florida. It's true. Um, he wrote. So Raymond then wrote in 2019 um, in the Daily Beast. He wrote uh, an article where he talked about how. 
The GOP tied up Democratic elected phone lines with anti-impeachment calls. Oh, my God. Um, so that's they, they did that. And um, I believe that they're still looking into that particular issue. And again, um, I had to I have to mention Florida. And were you thinking about Gillum? No. So um, the Gillum campaign, the same. It wasn't necessarily phone jamming, but they were these harassing calls. I don't know if you remember that were going mm. out um, that were racist. These racist mm. calls kept being made where they were. I don't even want to repeat the horrible things that they were saying and imitating on the phone lines to voters. Right. And it's disgusting. And DeSantis is like, oh, I don't know about those calls. Like, I don't have control over the people who make these calls. But that kind of stuff, it it should not be permitted. I hear you. Um, And then this year we saw the RNC uh, do calls to voters, giving them the wrong date for election date in Michigan. (laughs) It happened in Ohio in 2011. And it happened several other times where they make these calls saying, don't forget to vote on, you know, whatever date. And it's the date after the election. Oh. My God. And that's voter interference. Yeah. I mean, and it's all about disenfranchising voters. They know the numbers that they're calling. And, you know, again, these are all cases that are illegal. You know, they're illegal. They can't yeah. do that. But it's been happening for years and years and years and years and years. And it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of um, uh, Chris Christie and the and the bridge. Oh, Bridgegate. Bridgegate. Yes. Maybe I'll. Maybe one of us can. Do I that know. Story. I was thinking about that but the other day too. I was it like, reminds, oh. I think they were found guilty of that. Somebody yes. was in that campaign of that like, whole thing is ridiculous. Shutting down the bridge and like so people, people couldn't go to work. They could and they couldn't get home to vote. Like there was a yes. whole thing about how they couldn't go to vote because they couldn't get home in time yeah. to do it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um. And one more little uh, fact that I thought was interesting is about five years after the election, Sununu still stayed quiet. He never really talked about any of this. And there was no indication that his campaign was involved, like his direct sort Mm -hmm. of staff. But, I mean, we know how it is. Like you have your staff and then there are other sort of operatives that that want you to win for whatever reason and they do their own thing. Um, But I thought it was interesting that he spoke out on the Lebanese election process. And this is five years later, so it was in... um, Uh, 2016 and he said the Lebanese quote the Lebanese people have shown an unrelenting commitment to democratic principles so he's all for a fair election in the Middle East Mm. but not so much in New Hampshire when it concerns his own campaign so I thought it was funny that like you can come out and talk about this other thing happening yeah but what about what happened in your own personal election race so that's the story very good yes it's a little short a little sweet, but um, I just think it's important that 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 these operatives, if they are working with the national party, mm-hmm. like they have to be held accountable for that. Like they, you know, it's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. You can't disenfranchise people. You should not be sending false information, jamming up phone lines just because you want to win. It's it's like just play, the, just just see how things turn out. I got to tell you, because I would, I I would, would... never participate in blocking <laughs> phone calls to Republicans because they are voters. These are constituents. These are you can't do that to people. <laughs> what do you think I I'm know. about to say? I know I you're like, screw it. Let's do it. it. Yeah, do it. I would do all of it. I would do all of it. You would do all of it. Yes. But then because we're just as bad. That's right. But guess what? Then we win and then women have rights. 
And then no, there's no, the fuck, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the end game? The end game for really is control and power. And so who do we want to have that? Are we going to go, but you didn't play fair while they're taking away yeah, our rights? No, like, I know. That's what happens. It's no, a, it's a it, politics is the worst of the worst, but it's also like the end of it. It could be better. Like, look at what we're living with right now. Yes. Whatever it took to get Biden into the White House. But thank it did. You God. Yeah, but, it, you know, at least it, it happened we fairly. We don't know. So, I mean, there, uh, who knows what could who happen? Knows. Who knows? All I know is I live in a red fucking state still. Yes. Still. Oh, and yeah. I thought I thought that maybe there was some hope for purple for Florida. Girl, There's please. no. We it's are never. red as red can be. And because, it's disgusting. And honestly, no I know, offense to the Republicans listening. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. But let, let me say something like if you are not willing to put it all out there when you're yeah. fighting in this, then you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Yeah. And if you if you don't have enough uh, of knowing what's happening in Miami-Dade County and everybody's being called a socialist and you don't have a message to fight that back or how to reach oh my God. people and say, this is not what, a, this is not. No. The Florida then, then we deserve to work. lose. Yeah. Then we deserve to lose. No, it's true. You know, girl, please. I would do all of it. Burn it all down and then be like, Oh, let's, I, you know? I'm for burning shit down. Yeah. What is it called? It's called, um, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yes. Like just, that's all you need to do. You know? Yes. So I'm talking about going to the inauguration. I'm thinking about going up in January. You know, I talked about about this. I talked about this um, yesterday with my husband. I was like, I think I really want to go to this inauguration. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. But then, I'm, you know, I got to think about a plane ride and, like, you know, all of that. But I think to be there would be amazing. I think it would be, too. And I'm unfortunately Mm -hmm. in this sort of immunocompromised state. Yeah. And so... That's my hesitation. Yeah. I I would consider driving. I think I would Ooh, consider that. road trip would yeah. be fun. But I definitely want to go. I've talked to a couple other people. Yeah, you know, Kate wants to go. Ingrid wants to go. My mom said she oh. would go. So I think that would be a lot of fun. Yes. Um, and even to see the helicopter go away. Oh, my God. And get in that helicopter. And oh, my God. I'm, I could put a triple mask on. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, I think that it's something we should do. I think we should go and oh my God. just enjoy the city and enjoy it. It'll be cold. Oh, and my God. It would be nice. Yes. So, I'm thinking about this. Yeah, think I about mentioned, it. I mentioned it yesterday, and I was like, you know, I really want to go. I mean. Maybe bring one of my sons Apparently, with me. I saw a tweet that it, oh, it wasn't a tweet. It was a, um, uh, on Facebook, a friend of mine lives in D.C., and she said the energy in D.C. right now, and that was last night. I was like, oh, my oh God. my God. I know. It's exciting. It's, it is exciting. It really so, is. So I have to have surgery in two days. I'm not, like, looking forward to this. I have to get my gallbladder removed. Oh. I know. I'm not looking forward to it. I was talking to some of my friend last night, and she was just like, have you ever gone under before? I'm like, yeah. And she said, <laughs> she goes, you'll, you'll be fine then. And I'm like, oh, like, oh. I'm so scared about it but i gotta tell you biden winning has made me feel a little bit lighter like yes. i feel like there's not so much to worry about like i know who's the president yes. okay like let's just do this thing and then i get to lay in my house for a week which is like never happens and i get to relax yeah that's what i'm gonna do that sounds so nice oh my god forget it so yes let's go to the inauguration <laughs> let's do it oh my god <laughs> all right I, I'm I'm seriously considering this. Please. I have to triple mask. Maybe Alfredo would go. Oh my like, god! It would be fun. It would be amazing. It would be fun. If we're gonna do like a um like a uh, a hotel or an Airbnb, an Airbnb. We did an Airbnb was, yeah. two years ago, and it was great. Yeah, it was great. If it's an Airbnb, yeah. All right, I'm thinking about this. Please take it seriously. Yes, like, let's I do am. It. I am. 
Because you know Ingrid will bring her daughter. Yes. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be able to bring my kids, which would be a bummer, but still. I was thinking about bringing one. Yeah. My oldest. Oh, he would love it. Oh, my God. He was so much to do there. He he would. It would be amazing. Yeah. All right. I'm seriously considering this. And then also we should look up our Senator, our um, U.S. House Rep, Ted Deutsch, just to like look at how beautiful he is in person. Oh, we can knock on his door and be like, hi. Hey, I have my I have my Ted Deutsch shirt. Me too. Hi, I'm Team Ted. Can I come in and see my my rep, please? (laughs) We have you on a list, Miss Doherty. You're not allowed to be in here. (laughs) I stalk him all the time. Oh, my God. All right. right. I will see you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.